0: This is not just a time where we have picnics and, uh, you know, go out of town, visit relatives. Incidentally, for those of you who have not been in the Boise Valley and the Treasure Valley very long, after everybody left town on Friday, it's now the way it was (laughs) traffic-wise. Did you notice that? It was so nice. It's the way it used to be. So anyway, and uh, Memorial Day, it used to be called Decoration Day. After the Civil War, actually, it was the celebration of the Civil War started uh, honoring the soldiers who had fallen, particularly the Northern Army during the Civil War. Then it expanded. Uh, General Logan of the Northern Army started 1868, and they started uh, honoring it on the last uh, Monday of of uh, May. And it was officially put into operation, 1971, as an official federal holiday. It is now Memorial Day. Now, my grandsons and I, we do a special thing. every. This has been kind of a tradition. Let me show you what we did uh, this weekend so far. Uh, Quincy and Wesley go with me to my dad's gravesite at the Idaho State Cemetery. Who incidentally, the Idaho State Cemetery was actually put in place because of our own Helen Chenoweth. I don't know if you know that or not. And here's uh, Wesley and Quincy. Incidentally, the reason why I do this is to honor my father, but also the boys were in the room when my father passed away, and uh, they used to call his name is Carl. They used to call him Grandpa Carmel. Because they couldn't pronounce the R-L, kind of, you know, so it's Carmel, Carmel. So anyway, they they love Grandpa Carmel. Well, we're here today, and I want to, uh, I have an interesting message for you. Before I do that, I do want to report, uh, Shane mentioned it, we had uh, $10,000 came in for India. And we mentioned that last Sunday. I want to thank you for that. We were able to get that to them. A a sad note, I just got word this week that Er, Ernest Kamonapali, who we sent the money for, who is the leader of the whole India network of churches, just passed away this week. So would you please pray for our church network in India, that God would bless them and encourage them. And so they're, they're kind of, you know getting back together and trying to figure out uh, the next step. But he's been in in, uh, poor health the last couple of years, but a very, very strong, good man of God. Also, last Sunday, we had uh, the uh, Foster and Heart, and Shane mentioned that we had over $9,000 come in for Foster and Heart, (laughs) plus plus other gifts. So I want to thank you, congregation. You're a generous Group of people, and I just I just thank God for you. This church has done so much for local and, f- and foreign missions and efforts. So bless you. Cooks, it's good to see you. Second row, all the way from Idaho Falls. First time you've been here in a what a year and a half? Wow, good to see you. Let's welcome them here. Also, I want to pray for Pastor Mark. He's um, This morning, I talked to Susan. He's been in the hospital. He had back surgery. He's trying to correct some things in his body, uh, his leg, etc. And so we want to pray for him. Susan went in to get him this morning to take him from the hospital. He's still having a hard time with pain and, and uh, some other things that we need to pray for. So would you join me with that? And also, we need to pray for Bob Kipp. Bob is a first service attendee, sits right over here. Vlad, where you're sitting is where Bob sits normally. And Bob and Olive. And uh, we just need to pray for Bob. He has a heart situation, and they're trying to get a time down in Texas. The only place I guess they do it in the whole United States is Texas. So we need to pray that they would get the the appointment set. He'd be able to go down there and take care of the arrhythmia situation, electrical directive in his heart is not working right, even with the the heart pacemaker. So we just need to pray that God would uh, intercede, okay? Also, uh, uh, Chuck, we need to pray for Chuck. Uh, Patty's uncle and his wife is here. God bless you today. Good to see you. He's in the hospital. We want to pray for him too. And anybody else who needs prayer, lift your hand while I'm praying. We're going to bless them too, okay? In Jesus' name, we pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would touch those in need. We pray for Pastor Mark right now. We ask that you extend your hand and cause healing to come into his body. Lord, reverse this uh, the, the things that are causing difficulty. I pray you would insert healing in such a way the pain would be reversed. We pray for Bob Kipp. We ask that you touch his heart. You put all the details together, that all these things that are put in place, would, Lord, uh, you would direct by the hand of God and just renew his strength. He was very weak this morning. I pray that you would strengthen him and impart life to him, for by your stripes he's healed. We pray for Chuck today. We pray your hand to be visiting upon him and your, your word would come strong to him. And you would heal him, even in the hospital right now. We thank you that you are the great healer. And Lord, for by your stripes we're healed. And you send your word and heal us. We pray that everyone today that needs a healing, there would come healing by the power of God. We direct it to them and we ask that you would do mighty works. And we would be able to say, look what God has done. The miracle has come in my body. We pray this now in Jesus' name. We pray for our nation now. We thank you for this weekend, Memorial Day weekend. We would pray that we would not just celebrate a holiday. We would celebrate what it means to be an American. And Father, thank you for the, for the lives given and what has occurred in our nation. We thank you for sacrifice, for freedom is not free, as it says on the Korean Memorial. We ask, Lord, that we would understand what it means to be a believer in America today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Can you, on the screen, can you put the time up there so I won't go too long? Not the countdown clock, the time, the clock. (laughs) Forget the clock, or for the countdown. Okay, I have an interesting message today. I'm going to give you a few-minute treatise of where I think the nation is. I'm going to then launch into what I feel like God is saying during this memorial weekend. I'm then going to end up tying it into what Pastor Chris spoke on last Sunday because that was an incredible message. And then hopefully it will all tie together and we will be able to understand what God is saying today. Are you ready? I have no idea how this is going to turn out. Get ready. All right. I titled this message, A Day to Remember and Not Forget. Ronald Reagan said this, An informed patriotism is what we want. And are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what America is and what she represents in the long history of the world? If we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. I'm warning of an eradication of the American memory that could result ultimately in an erosion of the American spirit. America is once again at a crossroads. We have what I would term historical and spiritual Alzheimer's. There is a war on our history. And if you don't know your history, you won't know what they've stolen from you. An all-important question is this. Is the essence of our civilization our culture, our mores, our history fundamentally good and worth preserving or is it rotten at its root Abraham Lincoln said in his Lyceum address no transatlantic military giant can crush us at a blow at what point then is the approach of danger to be expected he asked that question and then he says I answer if it reaches us it must spring up amongst us It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. The gravest threat to the United States, I don't think, is unsustainable debt, inequality, dysfunctional government, foreign enemies, or even radical Islamists. Our destruction will be our own work by our own hand. Many among us have turned our frustration and fury on what they think is the problem, the pillars of American identity, the founding fathers with all their faults. They began to, to call into question memorials of Jefferson, Washington, Andrew Jackson, and Christopher Columbus, among many others. And they at first stated they were after the Confederacy, which was tied to slavery, but it came clear soon That it was actually America they were after. It was everything this country was built on and the people who made it. Far too few of us fortunate inhabitants of the freest, most prosperous country in world history ever bother to ask how we got here. And why the United States has succeeded so spectacularly. Far too many of us stand by, or at times even cheer, and I'm talking about you, but many others, even cheer while radicals dismantle the pillars of our nation's greatness on the theory that they are symbols of the oppression, racism, and prejudice that make America an irreparably flawed place. What I say is we have entered a phase of a war on our history an ideological block is praying, not P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y praying on a new generation's ignorance in order to detach them from American ideas, history and cultural norms I may be one of the older people in this room, but I'm not an old fogey again, Reagan said if we forget what we did We won't know who we are. This new generation, for all its technical savvy, has little appreciation of America's past, which it dismisses as just old and contemptible. In other words, chronological snobbery. Our generation is better because we know more about all the technical stuff. There is a spreading belief that the men who built this country were oppressive and their values irredeemable. And therefore, they say, we must transcend the ugly ideas, principles, and even people of the past to perfect our society. In other words, bring us into utopia, which incidentally has never worked. We must, they say this, we must transform America by wiping out what previous generations celebrated as exceptional, but we know to be damnable. One by one, the great men, once universally revered by Americans, are becoming reviled, and forgotten casting aside our heroes is dangerous enough but we also risk losing something even much more essential the ideas and values that define America more of us must be willing to say enough is enough and we must also be willing to defend our past and to relearn what was once universally known but is now forgotten and neglected our civilization is at stake Those who still care about the principles and historical memory of our nation need to be armed with information and inspiration so we can teach others about what made America special from the very start. We have ignored, I'm not talking about you necessarily, if it's true then take it, but we have ignored the invaluable lessons of our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. We need to honor those who have gone before. My parents' generation saved the world. We need to honor that. But we have dismissed and denigrated the vision that gave us this land of plenty. The ideas of mystic cords of memory that bind generations together are being severed. So how do we restore them? Arnold Toynbee said this. He said, civilizations die by suicide, not murder. We need to restore America. We need to participate in that restoration. Raising statues to the heroes of our past is about more than just teaching history. It's about reminding new generations of Americans that we stand on the shoulders of giants. To make our country better, we must have valor and courage. We must distinguish what's right from wrong, We must do our best to carry on the best ideas and traditions of the people who came before us. We must continue to institute the Judeo-Christian ethic. It is undeniable that the United States was great from the moments of its inception. And that it has been a remarkable force for good ever since. Just as undeniable is the fact that America is the greatest country for anyone to live in today. Look at the immigration. They're not going out, they're coming in. Today, we look at history backwards. Instead of trying to understand why America has produced so much good, we reject the past wholesale. We throw out the baby with the bathwater because it doesn't meet an impossibly high, ever-evolving standard. We must reverse this and begin to elevate our values and our heroes, which will elevate us in return, it is our duty of those who still believe that America was and is is a special place to begin to defend what it means to be an American and a Christian, preserving the heroes of our history, and boldly go on the offense as apostles of Christianity and America. We must remember who we are, and not forget. That's my introduction. Let me... I found a scripture this week that kind of shocked me. I have never, ever seen it in the light. It's a very short scripture, but it's, it's, it was so meaningful, and it kind of rocked my boat. Let me read it to you. It comes from Psalms 917, where it says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Psalm 917. It is in the Bible. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I'm here today to talk about when it comes to the blessings of heaven, spiritual amnesia is a very dangerous thing. I want to go to the book of Deuteronomy that Shane referred to earlier. The book of Deuteronomy is the book of remembrance. Deuteronomy four nine says this it says, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Deuteronomy four twenty three says take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. Deuteronomy 6 12 he goes on and he says then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Deuteronomy eight eleven. he goes even further and he says Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Deuteronomy eight nineteen. I mean, I could almost read all of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy eight nineteen. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Now those are kind of shocking words, but those are the words of God. Which should bring about in all of us a fear of the Lord. Now, I want to go and give you three things we do well to never forget this morning. Three things, and I'm going to do some uh, sub-points as well. But the first thing that we should never forget is the reason for our national success or America's success. It's been said that when you see a turtle sitting on the top of a fence post, you know the turtle didn't get there by himself. If I could say it like this, the American turtle didn't, didn't get up top the fence post all by itself. John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, said this, Did we bring the Bible to these shores, or did, the, did it not rather bring us? The breath of the ancient prophets was in the sails that drove the tiny Mayflower. The hope and faith of ancient poets, kings, and lawgivers were in the hearts of those who first sang the Lord's song in this very strange land. From those beginnings until now, the Bible has been a teacher to our best men, a rebuke to our worst men, and a noble companion to us all. John Quincy Adams said, now these are our founding fathers. John Quincy Adams said, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. The Mayflower Compact said, the Pilgrims came to these shores for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. The Fundamental Orders of Connecticut, written in 1639, the first constitution in the modern sense of the term, states in its preamble... That the state owes its origin to the wise disposition of the divine providence, and that the word of God requires an orderly and decent government established according to God to maintain and preserve the liberty and purity of the gospel. That's in the preamble. What's in the body of the Constitution? The Declaration of Independence refers to the laws of nature and nature's God. And they insist that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And then that document closes by saying this, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions and with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Do you think America was started because someone decided it? Perhaps the founding fathers had Psalm 127 in mind. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. George Washington made no secret of his Christian faith. In his general order, calling for divine services every Sunday during the Revolutionary War, he said, to the distinguished character of a patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of a Christian. When a stranger came to the Continental Congress and wanted to know which one was George Washington, a friend said, oh, He's easy to spot. When the Congress begins to pray, Washington will be the tall man who will go to his knees first. At the height of the Civil War, referred to what Lincoln referred to Washington's faith and said, "This without the assistance of the divine being who attended him, I cannot succeed. With that assurance, I cannot fail. Let us all pray that the God of our fathers may not forsake us now." Yes. Can I say this? America has a Christian heritage. Yes. No other nation has in God we trust on its currency. No other nation has in God we trust over the speaker's uh, uh, state place in the House of Representatives. No other nation has its le- legislative bodies open up in prayer. No other nation has a national day of thanksgiving. No other nation has a national day of prayer. We can go on. Dwight D. Eisenhower said this. Without God, there could be no American form of government nor any American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. Daniel Webster said, Our government in our country commenced with its very first foundations laid under the divine light of the Christian religion. Who would wish that this country's existence had otherwise begun? Let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Benjamin Franklin his most famous quote to the Constitutional Convention as they were about to begin without, without prayer. He said, all of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. To that, don't you like the way they write? Ugh. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? And that was the, most, the least most religious of the founding fathers. Let's talk about our, the root of our national sinfulness. I want to talk about the root, not the symptoms. I think the root of our national sinfulness or what has happened in our nation is a deterioration from within. In 1959, I was nine years old. I remember this. Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev pounded his shoe on the podium at the UN and said, we will bury you. I'll never forget In fact, uh, my mother-in-law, Doris sits at her table about once a month and brings it up. (laughs) She talks about it. She's 100 years old and she still remembers it. However, President Reagan and President Bush presided over the funeral of, of Soviet communism. Meanwhile, America is burying itself. When civil liberty means pedophiles get to walk the streets, we face deterioration from within. When freedom of religion allows Planned Parenthood to hand out condoms at school, but won't let the Gideons hand out Bibles, we face deterioration from within. When liberty means we can impugn the Bible, but our soldiers have to wear plastic gloves to carry the Koran, we face deterioration from within. And I could go on. One person has said, the greatest danger to America is America. We have met the enemy, and it is us. The second thing about the root, we have deception from below. I don't know if you've ever heard of Paul Harvey. I liked Paul Harvey. Those of you who aren't old enough, I'm sorry, go Google him and listen to him. (laughs) Paul Harvey once wrote a column entitled, If I Were the Devil. He said this. If I were the Prince of Darkness, I would want to take over the United States. I would begin with a campaign of whisper." With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd whisper that what is bad is good and what is good is square. In the ears of the young married, I whisper that work is debasing, that cocktail parties are good for you. I would caution them not to be extreme in religion and patriotism and even moral conduct. And to the old I would teach to pray, to say after me, our Father, which art in Washington... Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Let those run wild. I'd designate an atheist to front for me before the highest courts, and I'd get preachers to say she's right. I'd infiltrate unions and urge them more loathing. Less work. Idle hands usually work for me. With flattery and promises of power, I would get the courts to vote against God in favor of pornography. Then I would evict God from the courthouse, from the schoolhouse, and from the House of Congress. If I were Satan, I'd just keep on doing what I'm doing, and the whole world would go to hell as sure as the devil. The third route, you still with me? The third root is destruction from above. The God whom we claim to trust is also the God we had better learn to fear. I have, I have been studying Acts and I found out that the thing that brought the Holy Spirit back in multiple ways was always the fear of God. Whenever the fear of God came, miracles took place. Do a study. Because God is not only our greatest hope, God is also our greatest threat. Our biggest threat is not Vladimir Putin. Our greatest threat is not China. Our greatest threat is not nuclear Iran. Our biggest threat is not Islamic aggression. Our biggest threat is not domestic terrorism. Our biggest threat is not an out-of-control budget nor is it the proliferation of other things, our biggest threat is that God will finally get a belly full of our sin. Thomas Jefferson once said, Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but by his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. So let's talk now about the remedy for a national sickness. I'd like that better. Like a sick patient surrounded by medical experts, there are a lot of people who wish to prescribe the cure for what ails us. I want you to imagine a person who smokes and works around asbestos. They have been diagnosed with cancer, Imagine a doctor recommends they get more exercise. Well, that may be fine advice and perhaps is needful in some way. But unless they deal with the smoking and asbestos exposure, jogging a mile a day will not do much good. He that has an ear, let him hear what I just said. In the same way, there's some good things wonderful things, even great things, that America needs to cure her sickness. But ultimately, only one thing will matter, God in our hearts. Is the solution God at the White House? Oh, I, I think the Bible says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And we should desire and vote for and support any candidate who would bring righteousness, but, but God in the White House isn't going to bring revival. Is a God at the courthouse? Well, I think we need good judges. There's a lot of corrupt judges now, but I don't think that's the cure. Is a God at the State House? Well, I would like to have righteous, you know, House members, Senate, governor, etc., but it has never brought revival to Idaho yet. Now I vote for them, in the election that comes up, we need to vote for righteous candidates. So what is it? I think it's God at the church house. It goes without saying that I believe America needs strong churches. The ecclesia that God has brought about. Churches that are devil chasing, soul stirring, sin confronting, Bible preaching, Jesus exalting, soul winning, disciple making, spirit moving churches. But the reason why we need churches like that, and that's basically a church is made up of covenant believers. You and I. The reason we need churches like that is because it's the instrument, the vehicle through which the ultimate cure will actually come. Like it says in Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Come on. So the answer is really God in my house and your house. You see, until this matter of revival and repentance gets personal, it will never come. We're always waiting for this ethereal revival to come. If it doesn't come in us, it's not coming anywhere. Amen. I remember the old song. I'm sorry, I'm referring to old things right now, but I feel like some of you youngsters need to hear it. There was a song we used to sing a long, long time ago. It's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Until we began to pray along with King David, who said, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, then I don't think revival will ever come unless we agree with that. Let me say it again. The greatest threat to our country is not the terrorist, the communist, the humanist, the socialist, the secularist, or the atheist. The greatest threat is the Christian living in immorality. The Cure. 2 Chronicles 7.14. I said it in September 26th last year. Standing on the mall of Washington, D.C. My close friend Tom Smith and I quoted this scripture. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the cure. God says it's the cure. Revival will only come when we're willing to pray. Lord, send revival to the world and start in my nation. Lord, send revival to my nation, start in my state. Lord, send revival to my state and start in my community. Lord, please send revival to my community and start in my church. And Lord, send revival to my church and start at my house. And Lord, send revival to my house and start with me. And that is something America had best never forget. I want to close by tying what I just said with what Chris talked about last week. That was a great word, son. That was awesome. You you got to get up here, preach some more. I want to talk about what he was, did, did you hear what he was talking about? The blessing of the father and how the blessing of the father is given to us. I believe our father in heaven wants to bless us. I'm going to actually quote some things he said and then I'm going to end with what I think this all means. I'm, I'm, everything I just said, I want to give you what I believe is, is not only the cure, but how God wants to institute it. We must learn to receive God's blessing. We are not good receivers. And there's no one shaking their head yes and saying, amen, Pastor Ken. Amen. But I want to tell you, we must be a people of blessing in an age of cursing. Yeah. Creation, I'm quoting Chris, creation is a design of great delight where our Father made a garden for his image bearers so he could bless them and so we could thrive. He still wants to do that and he is trying to get us back to the Garden of Eden experience. Mark 1.10, and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What was that? That was the Father saying over the Son, I'm I'm pleased with you, I bless you. God's voice says, I am well pleased. And because Jesus knew his Father's love, Jesus was able to bless and love others. It will be said of us as well. But however, we are so busy that we can't receive, appreciate, and enjoy the Father's approval and blessing. As a result, we tend to live in a state of chronic depression because we're not receiving God's blessing. This is the curse of sin, not the blessing of the Father. And I'm not just talking about us, I'm I'm preaching this to the world. (laughs) So we look at the world, we tend to look at the world through a lens of cursed consciousness... And therefore, we ridicule and shame others and we project what is inside us to the world around us. We have a deep hunger for our natural Father's blessing and even a deeper desire is the blessing from our Heavenly Father. We are lacking the Father's blessing in America. My point is this. I believe all those who are rebelling, all those tearing down the statues all those shaming our culture, they all have a vacuum of a father in their lives. We are a culture of fatherlessness. We have the greatest amount of orphans and the greatest amount of single homes that has ever been in America right now. And so what happens when we have that deep hunger for what we don't have When we don't have it, we have a deep sense of inadequacy. We operate out of a deficit of not being blessed because you were meant to be blessed and you know it. We must receive blessing and speak blessing. Just as Chris was saying, blessing is to speak well of someone. It's all about our identity. We must remember that what the Father spoke over the Son, he also spoke over us and receive it. In you I'm well pleased. In you I'm well pleased. Church, God is pleased with you. You need to receive the blessing of the Lord. We are therefore living in blessing. What is true of Jesus, and this is what Chris is going to keep telling you, what is true of Jesus is also true of us. So let's apply it today. Are you with me? Let's apply it today. I'm trying to get you to understand what I just spoke about. What is the vacuum and the need in America? It's fathers that will stand up and begin to bless the nation. It will, they will bless their children. They will bless their grandchildren. And they will bless all those around them. We have a generation of fatherless children who project their inadequacies onto our culture. And out of their emptiness, they are crying out by rebelling and tearing everything down. There is a vacuum that must be filled. It has to come through Jesus Christ, through the church, through the Father's blessing, their children and grandchildren. Answer, the blessing of the fathers and of our Heavenly Father. You know what I think? We we need a Father's blessing revival. Oh, I thought there'd be a lot more amens on that one. Let me close with two scriptures. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Behold, this is the last statement of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, and the hearts, and lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Luke 117 Similar scripture, kind of quoted from Malachi 4, 6. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's get prepared for the Lord. Now, I want to close with doing something different. Chris calls me up yesterday. He said, Dad, remember that song that you and Uncle Wendell talked about when we, when I was younger? I said, yeah, I think it's this one. And it's all about the relationship between a father and a son. It isn't sung by a Christian group. Ooh. <laughs> it was sung by Mike and the Mechanics. Pastor Kent, you're going you're gonna to play that song in church? You better believe it. <laughs> this song was the song that was played. I told you a few weeks ago, Who you remember when uh, Pastor Wen and I and Connie and Ginny were in a restaurant, Red Robin, did I tell that story to you? This is the song that was playing. Let me play it to you. It's the story of a father and son and the need of Every person to have a relationship and what happens when you don't have it. Listen to this. We need the Father's blessing. Fathers and sons, fathers and daughters. Can I tell you, son, I'm so proud of you. You're a son in whom I'm well pleased. Tracy, you're probably watching. She's not feeling well today. I'm really proud of you. Congregation, I'm so proud of what you are and who you are and what you're doing. I just want to say, bless you. Bless you, bless you. Some of you have had empty hearts because maybe you have a father that didn't do what he should have done. But I'm telling you, we have a heavenly father who's the one we really need approval from and receive his approval today. I just believe we just just need to receive something today. I think there are scores of you that you just need to take a step of receiving the blessing of God, the blessing of the Father today that will wipe away the pain and the difficulty, maybe even the bitterness that that song described. Wipe it away and bring you into full measure of what God has for you. And I believe this whole message today is to bring us into another level of the Father's blessing and turn all of our hearts to Him. You need to know. You need to experience God's love. God's love. I'm going to do something. They're going to start playing in just a minute. But I, I believe that What I want to do is I want you to come to the front. If you just feel this this emptiness of needing the Father's blessing, either Heavenly Father or Earthly Father, and I want to just bless you as you come to the front. I want you to receive the blessing of, of Father God. And if that's you, I want you to come this morning. So would you stand to your feet? They're going to sing this song in just a minute. As they sing, just come to the front. Just come, and we're going to pray over you, and we're going to believe for the Father's blessing in your life. All right, so just come. If you just have that, that emptiness or that, that lack in your heart, or just maybe it's something that just you can't even explain, but you know you need more of God's love. Just come to the front right now. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.